Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Kia ora and welcome to another Aotearoa Rugby pod after another huge weekend of international rugby. We've got four deciders coming up in the series this week. The Northern Hemisphere had it all over the Southern Hemisphere. A great weekend of footy for watching, unless you're an all-black fan and you're probably in absolute mourning and looking to take the head of the coach. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what there else is to say. I was going to talk back this week, James Parsons. Yeah, well, it certainly will be. Uh, it'll be. It'll be a hot topic. Put it that way. <laughs> no doubt. Not that it hasn't been already. <laughs> and Bryn Hall, of course, joining us from Christchurch. Bryn, you're keeping away from talk back this week. You don't want to be listening about all black coaches all week long. Oh no, mate! I've just been more so uh, listening to the Irish. I actually just listened to a half an hour podcast of hearing my old coach Ronan O'Gara and his dissection of. Um, I have for how the test went, so no doubt we'll go in a little bit more in depth. But um, look, what a what an occasion! We wanted a, a tight series, and we've got an opportunity to see a, a third test match played out in Wellington, and um, all for the marbles. Yeah, hundred percent. It was such a change, such a big change in the space of a week, and we'll break all of that down very soon. But let's start off with the alleged quickfire round and see how we go. Uh, player of the week for you, Jipper. Tag Burn. I thought he was awesome. The, the big lock, he made a number of line breaks, he was great on D um, and just, just a nuisance all night and, and strong and set piece as well. So I thought he had a great great game and he was sort of one of the players that, you know, he put the performance together to allow Sexton and Co to manipulate and get what they wanted in terms of breaking down those edges for those tries. Brad? Uh, mine was Johnny Sexton, I think, um, how he played on the weekend. He was a bit of a puppeteer, wasn't he? Uh, manipulating the all-black defence and the, and the face play shape and... Like you're showing the old island of what we've been so accustomed to see. So um, we'll go a little bit more in depth around that. But uh, Johnny Sexton, um, hopefully he's going to be right for, for test three because they're going to need him for sure. That guy's got a lot of clubs in the bag, eh? Yeah. He's got so many options. Well, it's, um, you know, it, it, and you said it's a lot of changes, you know, but they did play really well in that first test. Like, like it wasn't a huge shift. There was that sort of five, six minutes um, you know, sort of period before half time at Eden Park, but outside of that, it has been pretty um, tight going. So we, we knew they were going to bounce back, and he was a key cog to that. And the fact that he stayed on for, for more minutes is a big reason why they won the game. So is Ireland your team of the week? Um, I, I think England came back um, stronger. Like I, I think we'd be cruel to be surprised by the Irish win. Like they're a quality side, and, and you know they've I think three out of the first five now four out of the last sort of seven. So um, I, I think England from where they were and just the grit and determination um, to hang in there, because the Aussies, man, they had it all their way. They had territory, um, they had every opportunity to win that test match and they just fought out a hard fought wind at England. So I was really impressed with them. Who was your team of the week, Brent? 
Oh, he can't go past Ireland. Um, a notable mention for Australia, eh? I thought it was a hell of an effort to uh, to win that game in Fiji, and probably Fiji were the, were the worst enemies in that game, but um, Aussie A to be able to come back and win that game, which we thought uh, the way the Fijians played the week previously will get that result. But now, look, coming to New Zealand um, and being able to win a test match in New Zealand, what is 117 years, be able to get that off their back. And I guess what now, just they're more than our bogey team. Um, they, you know, what, I think it's four out of the last seven they've won against us. So um, they're well and truly uh, winning this kind of uh, rivalry at the moment. So I'd say Ireland, for sure, with their performance on the weekend. Did they progress the most which week, this week? Who was the most progressive team? Progressive or regressed? Uh, uh, no, progressed. Oh, well, Ireland. I think for me, it was, it was Ireland. I think just with the points that I said, um, with how the result that they needed to be able to, to square the ledger and I guess you know, more so for the fact that they were able to execute and get what they needed because I think, to be honest, I could be wrong here, but I thought the, the score actually flattered the All Blacks in the end. I think you know, they were probably... You know, 20, 30 points better. They could have scored two or three more tries. It could have been a lot more convincing. So I think for me, Ireland can actually go up another gear, for me personally. Um, they've played a lot of footy. Um, they're asking the right questions, manipulating us a lot, putting us on, under a lot of stress. And look, if they get it right even more um, with their execution, um, you know, it's going to even put more added pressure on the All Blacks with this third test in Wellington. Yeah, again, look, I wasn't surprised by the Irish performance. So I've gone with Scotland. Mm. I thought that to turn things around, the way they did and, and win so convincingly against Argentina at home was was a massive, massive um, effort, and you know probably didn't see them winning it um, after the first game. So they they, they came back with uh, huge strength. I suppose on the flip side of that, some teams went backwards. Argentina, New Zealand. You know, who do you think went backwards? Fiji, I think. Like yeah. uh, I was actually watching that game with Marty Veal, and I was before the game I was um, sort of regurgitating what we spoke about on here is that you know they're a real dark horse for the World Cup, and he. He sort of turned to me, he goes, look, I understand they're, they're a really strong team, but it's can they back it up, you know, for seven games in a row or six or five, however deep they go into a, a World Cup. And, you know, it does show the, the brutal nature of international rugby and, you know, just the same for the All Blacks as everyone was waxing lyrical about them and it's turned on their head. So in terms of that clinical performance they showed against Tonga, they didn't quite have that edge against Australia, eh? Got to credit the opposition for stopping it, but I, I don't think they brought the same performance. And for you, Brent? Yeah, I had Fiji um, just for all those points of gypsy, but I think also Argentina, um, the kind of the way that they played on the weekend. I think, look, um, the intent that, that the Scottish had and you know, the like of Ben White being able to, him and his game, being able to uh, run around the heart defence and setting up two tries with the kind of breakdown and collision area was a lot better against the Argentinians. So, um, yeah, I thought the Argentinians would probably be a little bit more disappointed um, in their performance, knowing that um, you know they got their result last week. So, um, again... It's great to see that all of these um, these kind of series are going to come down to the last test match. And I guess for world rugby and for, for casual fans and just fans in general, um, that's what you want to be able to see, competitive rugby and everything on the line coming on the, this week for a lot of those series this, this week. Absolutely. It makes it probably one of the most exciting weekends of mid-season, mid-year tests that we've ever had. I don't remember this much being on the line in June, July mm. for a long, long time with teams so evenly matched and with such different things happening in and around them, the storylines, whether you're South Africa changing your entire team or New Zealand having half the team sent off, you know, there are so many things going on over the weekend that we need to unpack. Let's start with the All Blacks as we always do. <sighs> Ian Foster described it as unacceptable for their lack of skill execution. Um, very critical, obviously, of the way they played. Now, they had a lot of cards and that played a factor, but in a lot of ways probably masks a bigger issue for the All Blacks. From where I'm coming from, 
when you look at what they've done, three out of the last four test matches, they've lost to strong quality opposition. And if you look back over the last year, that, that goes even further if you take out Italy and the USA. They're struggling. And if you looked at the form, you'd probably say that that team on the weekend and how they played is more of a reflection of the trajectory of this team than the first test was. So, with all of that being said, and the longest question in the entire world coming at you, do you think it's accurate for me and Foster to say that they're in a place which is simply unacceptable as far as skill execution and their game plan is concerned? Oh, look, I think it's a reflection on the test. Like, uh, Sam Kane touched on it straight after the game as well. Is, is the skill execution did put them under pressure. The amount of errors they had, especially in that first half, um, you know, didn't allow them to get their game going, didn't allow them to play at the right end of the field. Um, played a lot of um, you know, rugby coming out of their half and they were chancing their arm and, and probably didn't get as much pay as they liked. But I, I think the, the Irish made some really good D adjustments, especially on, we, we spoke about um, you know, Bowden and, and Aaron hitting that third. They, they almost took that out of the game early. They, they would be up on that third player, taking to ground and they were getting turnovers at the breakdown. So they made that adjustments, which didn't give the ability of that fast forward, sort of flat and hard, way New Zealand sides like to play that, you know, if we look at Adi Savia's try the week before, you're just on top of the defence, they have no time to get set, couldn't get that going because we couldn't get that first phase going. So, so the Irish really made their homework, we, we knew that would, that would happen and then, I, I, I don't know about you Bryn, I just was surprised, um, probably the lack of kicking game, I, mm. I, I'd really love to see those contestable kicks come from Bowden Barrett, I think he did it around the 20 minute mark for Leicester Fyang and he, and he dropped, he knocked it on. But when they're playing in between those 40s, is going to that um, contestable off, off Bodie rather than nine um, could be a r real weapon and, and um, you know, just gives them the ability to one to force an area, maybe get the ball back, but then you're playing down the right end of the field as well. So there, there was a couple of things that they went against, you know, only kicking 15 times compared to 28 in Eden Park, which is a big difference in that kicking game. Yeah, I think those, those two points are pretty pretty spot on, Jib, and I think around that face play shape, around hitting the third player, um, and probably I'd like to see whether they do this or not, because um, we run a, 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 at times through the year, the Crusaders are very similar shape around hitting that third guy, but the importance of having that tip line outside that mm. guy, uh, and no doubt, you know, the, the fact that the Irish were able to see that, so they were actually quite square and being able to chop that tackle, and because the, the efficiency of that tackle was so good in the chop level, in the height level, the jackal was on the ball straight away and you know it's it's so hard as two inside cleaners to win that race consistently when that guy's going on the outside his first move and wants to be on the outside to be able to present the ball so that's a bit of a rider that i'd like to see because if you've got that tip ball you can go out the back and then you've got animation off that as well with two rovers you know with like a will jordan if he's floating around Bodie or watching a 10 it asks questions of that defense other than just leaving that third guy isolated that's one variety that maybe i'd like to see um, with the face play shape and then I agree with that kicking stat, Jip. I think um, you know we tried to we did try to go to the contestables, contestables, but if you look at the the escort game of the Irish, um, you know if that's not spot on and it's not you know they're eighteen or twenty meters, you know Nuggies kicks to be honest were if they were aiming for that twenty five to twenty six meters, they're actually pretty good. But because the escort game is so hard and the um, blockers are coming back to stop our wingers to get up for the ball, it gives Ireland the ball. And um, ALB actually said some really good points on uh, the commentary around the best team in the world to be able to hold on to the ball and build pressure and have momentum and pressure with high face counts. So it's more so where do we want to give them the ball? If we can't get that ball back through contestables around that 20, 30 metre zone or that no man's land that you've talked about, Chip, kick it long. Kick it down the middle of that middle of the field because, you know, traditionally you've got two guys in the backfield with that pendulum, but there's space in the middle of the field. 
And so even if you kick it long and they catch the ball, they're catching the ball with a kind of 22 metres or 15 metres from their goal line. And then if they want to attack, then they've got to be pretty disciplined around their attack, not to give away penalties because we can go for three points or we can get, go into the corner and then go into our line out more or attack off that. So I think just a bit of variety around our kicking game, whether we want to kick long, if we're not getting the contestables with our nines, or like you said, Jip, that, that kick from Leicester Fainaluku um, is really a good way to be able to try and nullify that escort game because midfielders have got to come up to be able to be square and then they've got to turn around. Whereas off a box kick, because the time it takes it to set up from that ruck, it actually takes a while. It takes quite easy to be able to escort. So um, that's a bit of variety that I think uh, the All Blacks could bring to their game um, when it comes to the kicking aspect of the game. And I think, um, you know, like they've got it in them. I just think they need to kick off 10 a lot more than 9. It just plays into the hands, like Bryn says, with the Irish. But it also plays in, I think, our hands. Like Bodie's really good. He does it really well at the Blues um, around those contestables or kicking long down the middle and, and making you know, giving um, the All Blacks time to set up their D-line. And then just on the phase play as well, a lot of the time at Eden Park, there was a midfielder coming outside that third um, forward, and that did create the decision around that that sort of tip line. And also, I felt like that third player didn't carry as much in Eden Park. They almost gave it out the ball. I remember Whitelock gave it um, for when, just before Geordie Barrett's try. I think it happened another couple of times as well. So... Maybe just getting that balance right, holding their feet, keeping their depth. Because the Irish were aware of it, they really came up hard and, and they didn't have that midfield. I think it was one on Brodie Retallick. They didn't have that midfield coming and it was just all too easy to read. And, and then, you know, guys of their ability that break down, it's, um, you know, it's, it's easy picking. Sorry, Ross, just, just on that, because um, probably the, the variety that you're talking around there, Jip, is, you know, if it's a return ball, like, you know, with Sam Wildlock that we saw in that first test, then you know it's a little bit easier to be able to get off because you're actually not staying square and you haven't got someone outside running that tip line to be able to manip- manipulate that fourth or fifth defender. So if they are going to have that rock play with Sam being able to give it back, not square and then a normal traditional tip line, but it's kind of like a return return ball to the to the pivot, you've got to have someone coming on a down line off that and then having animation in behind that as well. So I think that might be a little bit of variety. If they want to stick with that kind of rock shape that they've had, that um, kind of return ball shape, You've just got to be able to animate, like the like the um, the Irish do. You look at Porter's first try. You know the amount of times that you know Sexton was going right to the line. He's going out the back because he's got animation out the back. But then he's hitting the short ball with Porter because everybody's aligned and you're asking questions um, of the defence. So um, you know Irish the base play shape um, was great, and so I'd just like to see a bit of variety and being able to really question the um, the Irish in this third test match. But I think the key thing is it's not a massive change. And I, for me personally, True. I saw them do this at Eden Park. So it's, I feel like, you know, the All Blacks are in control of a lot of the things that went wrong. You know, skill execution is, you know, individual skill set. So we're not going to see that, you know, consistency in, in that amount of drop ball, especially early on. And these sorts of, these aren't changes in their phase play. It's just making sure there's a commitment to staying mm-hmm. within that phase play and running their lines time and time again, like the Irish did. Um, and it just makes it so hard as a defender, man. Like you just got no time to, you know, get get back, make a decision. You know, we spoke about defence at length last last week, and you could just see the difference. Um, you know, the All Blacks were almost on the back foot rather than folding around that corner and coming up and putting heat on. Why would it have changed? Well, you, you, that's what I'm saying. You've got to actually give credit to the Irish. Like they they made some adjustments that worked. One defensively, but also an attack. Like there was a real commitment to running all those animated lines to give Sexton the ability to pick off. And because he's such a quality player, he picked the right options more often than not. 
Is it a concern that those changes couldn't happen mid-game, that the All Blacks couldn't see what was going on? Because it appeared like Plan B was just doing Plan A again and Plan A wasn't working. Oh, I actually thought defensively they did really well. Like I think Bryn sort of said that it could have been a lot worse, but to me, what does that say about the All Blacks? Like, to be down to 13, there was a period there where Cody Taylor made a tackle in the mid- midfield. He sprinted across, was covering inside um, on the wing. Like The desperation um, and desire... Not much changed to me. Like we we spoke about the first test wasn't a it wasn't a hiding. Like yes, the score yeah. you know gave that picture, but you know the Irish were on attack and they couldn't get across the line, or there was desperate you know that tackle from Rico Yuani. This week they got across the line, but they could have had more tries than not had that desperation on D not been there. So look, maybe I'm an optimist and maybe I'm <laughs> I'm completely off the ball here, but like for what happened cards as an excuse but they happened and it's a reality and that defensive effort and ability to go into the break at 10-7 was huge but unfortunately that sucks the tank dry and, and, and eventually you know if you look at the two tries it's individuals I think um, Leicester might have rushed out Bryn and they got on that edge and then scored um, through Porter and then um, I think it might have been Offer in the second half rushed out on that sort of edge defence and they got out down that edge and then obviously eventually scored again through Porter but the, 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 the breakdown was someone trying to solve a defensive decision on their own they didn't achieve, if you fly out of the line you've got to hit your man, otherwise you end up in, in trouble as we saw on two occasions well, Let's talk about these cards then, oh, do you want to go Bryn? I was just going to say as well we talked about a lot at length last week but the intent and the breakdown um, from the Irish went up, went up at, uh, another level. Uh, we know the likes of Omani, their tight five. Um, the props probably watched our podcast, possibly, because <laughs> those two balls were, um, were unbelievable we'll um, on the weekend. So. But that's the small margins of error, Egypt. It's, it's so small, you know, the breakdown area and the collision area and your intent. Um, if, if you're a little bit off, um, take away the, obviously, the, we'll talk about the cards as well, but, you know, you look at the intent of the Irish and their breakdown, um, it, was, it was way better than it was on, on uh, the previous week. So um, no doubt, you know, we'll probably see a change in the All Blacks as well. No doubt with what um, with what the Irish did um, in week two. So um, no doubt the Irish are going to have to go another level again. Um, so um, it just leads it well for this third game. Hey, let's talk about these cards, not just for the All Blacks, but also the ones that happened in Australia as well, because they were probably just as interesting. We've had Ian Foster and Eddie Jones both come out and be like, you know, this is all a little bit wrong. You know, has it gone too far? You know, obviously working within the letter of the law, it appears that those cards, in the most part, were right. Is the letter of the law right or is the interpretation of the law right? Let's start with the All Blacks game. Certainly, you know, Angus Ta'avau. Um, is there mitigation factors there, considering the change of direction? Unfortunately not. Like, it's pretty clear, the system. Like, Yaku didn't want to do it. <laughs> you almost yeah. felt for him, because he knew... You know, Angus was caught, uh, you know, against a midfielder versus a prop, and you know there was no intent there. Um, but it's very clear. I mean, I think Sky even put up what they have to go through, and you, you couldn't you couldn't argue it. Um, so it, it really is the question is 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 it too harsh? Um, you know, I'm not too sure. Like I could, you know, th- there's a genuine attempt to protect the head um, and and making sure that that is um, you know, and th- this is. This is all new to everyone, and it's it's not ideal, I don't think. But maybe there is a part of it that maybe it could be a bit of a discretion. It doesn't have to be a mitigating circumstance, but you can sort of you know get a feel for. Um, but then you know maybe I'm making it too grey again, and we get we end up where we started yeah. off. So, well, that's it. 
like Jeff, I think there'll be so many great areas, you know, with, with common sense. A lot of misdreams being around here. Let's have common sense of, of, of what rugby is. But, you know, you look at Ben O'Keefe probably in that Super Rugby uh, final. Mm. You know, a lot of those things possibly could have been yellow cards, uh, possibly a red. But, you know, just through common sense of being able to understand the game of rugby, um, he made the right, the, the right decision. Whether the world rugby think that's right or not, but for the spectators to watch that game, um, you've got to respect for the for the understanding of rugby in itself and knowing that you know this is rugby it's a contact sport they haven't done it with malice um and they made a decision right then and there so but um you know gus ones for me with probably the last 12 months we've talked about you know we've seen similar pictures of that happening um there's no mitigating factors you know for me personally i thought lester was really really lucky not to get a red card well it's similar to caleb's part. Yeah, remember Caleb exactly. against um, Indrua, but probably just didn't look as gruesome because the yeah. the, uh, like, the yeah. minor Pacifica player flipped. Yeah, because I was I was really know, worried for Leicester when I was like, oh god, if they're going to be consistent here. Um, yeah, well, that's it. I, I thought he should have, you know, he, it should have been a red card. From what I saw, it was pretty pretty clear that it was straight to the head. The shoulder went straight to the head, and obviously it's it's an unfortunate situation. He was in the air, um, wasn't meaning to do it, but. From what I've seen previously, the last twelve months, that's probably a red card. So they were lucky to get away with that, um, and they probably offer as well, possibly a penalty penalty try, maybe. Um, you know, nobody's in front for me. I actually didn't think it was a penalty try because I think Offer would, would have actually been in a position if he didn't. Had make he that not tackle, touched him, he would have tackled him. He actually would yeah. have got him in yeah. the end. So I thought that was the right call, um, but yeah, I think those calls are actually pretty fair. I thought um, lucky. I thought Lester was probably one that was touching go. Yeah. I thought could have been a red card. We're lucky to get away with that. And, and look, I've waxed lyrical about how good the defence and the effort was, but discipline will need to be sorted. I think 14 penalties, um, game one and two, um, and then the yeah. amount of cards, which caused a lot of confusion. It was it was a rolling door there at some st- at some point, and um, you know that will be a big factor because one, you don't want to piggyback because I think what Ireland did really well in the second test, similar to what they did in Dublin, is they didn't take the three, mm. and, and they just kept on and. What I was talking about before, the All Blacks sucking the petrol, they just suck the petrol out of them, that eventually it you know, does wear into that sort of 60 to, to 80 minute mark, and, and they took advantage of that. But they, they, it's like a tactic, they're relentless. Like, they might not have scored, or they might not got have, would have got the reward on the scoreline, but the amount of tackles and the amount of effort the All Blacks had to put in before half time was always going to come um, back at some stage because you, you physically would be drained after that amount of effort. One of the things that concerns me when you look at both Leicester Anuku and also the yellow card for the intentional slapdown in the England game is that there are things that are written into the law which are legal. You're allowed to charge down a ball. You're allowed to jump to charge down a ball. You're allowed to attempt an intercept. But it appears that the, the line is so fine that you can't get those things even slightly wrong or you're going to get yourself into trouble. Like, and do they just need to write those things out of the law so the players don't get confused about what they can and can't do? Um, I'm not too sure, but I think that um, Sam Kane asked Yako, he said, oh, if he'd kept his hands up, would he be OK? And Yako said, yeah. It was because he dropped down in like mm-hmm. a sort of self-protection mode and you know, caught him with his, with his arm to his head or shoulder or elbow, I can't remember what it was, but maybe that's it. You just gotta, and I think they went down that wing again, and if you watch, Bowden Barrett did a charge down. And he kept his hands up um, the whole time. So it's just a slight adjustment in, in, in that aspect or maybe just not leaving the ground as, as high as um, he did. Yeah. Because you, you've got no control. Like you, it's not a, but it, 
he's in, he's he's responsible for his actions, obviously, but he can't move. He can't disappear once he's up in the air. Mm, mm. And he's the, got no choice. I think, I think it's just been able to to adjust, and whoever's able to adjust and adapt at, at the at the best of times is probably going to get get the result because you know the amount of education that we're given around you know that you know that slap down. If you look around uh, Parisi's example. We know that you we know that we get taught you've got to have two hands if you want to have one hand and you don't get it even though it might look like geez that's really close for almost being a, a try or you know whether it be your, t- your, your depth of your tackle not being able to get it right or something like that you know you get taught that so it's been able to adjust and understand that if you if you want to put yourself in that position where something like that's going to happen you're going to come off second best so and sometimes obviously it's rugby and you're going to make those those bad decisions just because just there's so many things that happen in rugby but um, for me, I reckon it's the, the test team moving forward, especially at a Rugby World Cup. You know, with, with the amount of yellow cards, you could probably go to the TAB and put bets on with how many yellow cards there are. Be, you know, because there's just so many in test matches now. You know, you're expecting a yellow card. So I think for the coaching group and the senior leaders or whoever it is leading up to the World Cup, whoever's best adapting to the law and understanding what it looks like and not putting your team under pressure um, gives yourself the best chance to play with 15 men. Because you're not playing with it. It, it, it does emphasize what a step up test match footy is as well though like it's a real pressure cooker and it was just a snowball effect wasn't it like uh, you know once Leicester went then Offa went then the red card you know like it is just you could just feel it ratcheting it up and you're just thinking man you it takes a lot of experience and composure um, to to not let it you know snowball out of control. And to be honest in the first half when they scored that try right at the end of the half you got this feeling like wow they're still in this. Yeah. How on earth did that happen? Then the second half, we, yeah. Yeah, but, and that's what I mean, like, they were always going to be at 14, it was always going to be a challenge, and, um, you know, that just, man, like, that was seriously impressive how empty those tanks, I know I've said it about three times now, but that, that was just such a big effort before half-time to, to keep yeah. Ireland out and then go and score. You know, the bold call of, instead of, they could have probably run the clock down to 40 if they took the three, and, um, but that's, that was a bold call. Um, you know, there's a big call by Sam Kane and he got rewarded for it. Mm. You got a strike, don't you? When you got your chance, if you're down. Yeah, but I mean, they'd just been hard on their line. You, you, you know, a lot of teams would say, look, let's give the big boys a breather and let's get into the sheds. Mm. But they, they knew how important it was to score. And to be fair, it didn't look like they were going to uh, until it, you yeah. know, a bit of freakish um, skill or luck, whatever you want to call it, by Bodie. Mm. Bowden, sorry. <laughs> Bowden Barrett. Bowden Barrett. Mr. Bowden Barrett. <laughs> the other thing that was super confusing, and I, don't, I still don't completely have my head around this, is what happened as players went on and off, and the fact that both the officials and the All Blacks seemed relatively confused about what happened. When you have a player replacing another player in a specialised position in the front row, like tight head, that player getting red carded, and then, you know... The rule was that the player who went off for the red carded player is the person who's supposed to stay off. So therefore Dalton, but it turned out to be Artie who stayed off those things. Like if if the officials and the coaches can't understand it, how on earth am I at home but supposed to know what the hell's going on? Dalton went off for offer, mm. is that right? And then Artie had to go off for Angus. Yeah. Yeah. So because Artie went off with the red card, I'm still not clear yeah. to be honest. Well, because Angus yeah, yeah. came on for Dalton. It's considered that Dalton had the red card and has to stay off. Ah, oh, I see. That's my interpretation. Say that again. It. Say that again, Ross. Say that again. So, um, Dalton had to come off to allow Angus on, and therefore, because Angus got the card, 
Dalton's got to stay so, off. Oh, yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and so the call on Artie was wrong. Yeah. And, and so how are we supposed to understand that if the officials don't understand it? And then there was that whole thing about when um, Aidan Ross came on for uncontested scrums. And it's, don't tell me why you need to bring a prop on for uncontested scrums. I don't quite get yeah, that. Yeah, I'm not too sure. Um, they're supposed to go down to 12. And I don't understand how if two people are carded, you're supposed to go down to 12. Like, surely that's grossly unfair that two people have gone off, yet you're supposed to go down to three. Yeah, it's... It's, I, yeah as I say, I'm not too clear on it. They certainly <laughs> weren't. Um, but I, how often would have that happened? Like, it can't yeah. have happened that much. I remember something happening in a Chiefs-Hurricanes game where um, someone maybe got red carded and then the flanker couldn't come back on or something. I can't remember. Um, we should have that for Harbour. I remember we played Tasman. Yeah, I've, it's happened a couple of times. Yeah, we actually ended up buggering it up. We buggered it up, but yeah, they had like three bats. So we couldn't, we didn't score. We wanted to keep them in the forwards, but yeah, idiots of us. But that's all good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's happened before, but very rarely does it happen. And the fact that Ireland, man, thank thank God that play had nothing to do with them not winning the game because if you can't score a try against four backs and uncontested scrums and a two man three man overlap, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem bizarre that you can have a bunch of backs and an uncontested scrum, but you've got to bring on a prop. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why on earth can't you just have Artie Savia packing in the front row if you want to? Like, Yeah, uh, that would make sense yeah, to me. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure that there's some wonderful reasoning behind it. Oh, there will be. Uh, who knows what on earth it is. Um, now, there was some discussion, I suppose, if you were to have kept one or the other on, who would you have kept? You know, if you did have a choice, having Artie off seems oh, like a bold call. Yeah, you no, you, I, I think they, I think everyone, you know, probably even Dalton would, um, you know, know that Artie needs to be on there. He'd be, you know, he's a key leader, um, and, and the pressure was on, wasn't it? You know, mm. like there was huge intensity in that, and um, you know, he's, he's the sort of bloke that is used to that Test match experience and and, and that sort of pressure cooker. Now. We've had a bit of chat recently about Sam Kane. You know, there's been a lot of chat in the media about him. People like Ian Foster like to get on his case. These two guys appear to be the scapegoat for any All Blacks loss or bad performance. They, they get on these two blokes' case. So what we thought we'd do is we'd have a look at some of the stats and break down exactly what this looks like for how good Sam Kane is. You know, and we've also got Dalton Papali's stats. We've taken the stats from Super Rugby this year because you need it over a long period of time. They both played a similar amount of minutes, so it's a relatively good comparison. Not that it's necessarily going to compare one against the other, but it gives us a good idea of who's doing what and why. And one of the things that really surprised me about Sam Kane is how he's used as a distributor by the Chiefs. Mm. 70 passes. Dalton only does 15 for the Blues. Yeah, so it's a lot. If you if you think about the Chiefs, they do a lot of those um, bunter play moors. So Sam will be that that halfback. He comes out and he he distributes. He, I think he did a couple um, on the weekend for the All Blacks as well. And also he's a lot of the time because he's um, one of the he's really good post contact. So when when he goes in for a carry, he normally can take two or three more s steps. And the stats back that up in terms of his post contact meters because he has the ability and skill set to give out the back to a, to a um, back runner or he's got his tip. So he has got a good skill set, but also he has the ability to tuck it under his chest and get across the game line, make defences go back, and then a lot of stuff happens off the back of those tough carries that sort of go unnoticed at times. And what, when you look at these stats, stand out to you from Dalton, I mean, from, uh, from Sam Kane as, as what makes him so important and why he's being relatively selected? 
Yeah, well, look, it, it shows that he does enter a lot of rucks as well. And, and if I give you an example, like it's probably easier to draw on the test match the other night. Um, when they were down to 13, um, there was a period where Ireland were attacking down the, the left flank and there was obviously one tackler and he was getting to his feet and Sam went in to challenge for the ball. It took four Irish players to move him. So that takes four, four Ireland guys on the ground and one All Black on the ground. So with 13, they've got 12 men on their feet. From that ruck that he sucked in four Irish defenders and allowed his teammates time to get in a defensive, they rushed up, Ireland got a knock on. So, but, but if you don't know or you look for him specifically and watch the, the sort of unseen effort that goes in, and there's a lot of seen effort. He was, he was great in a carry. It's not an argument for me. Like, he's the starting seven, and that's the, that's the fact. And I, I feel like I'm playing into it, trying to defend um, him, but that's a reality. Like, I just thought that was a prime example of what he does. I don't know if you saw that, Bryn, but you know how important that is for a defensive line. Even though he doesn't get a penalty and even though he doesn't get a turnover, sucking in that mm. amount of players, especially when you're down, is a huge play. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it definitely is, Jeff. And so, you know, a lot of people can, if you look at those stats, you know, you know you'd know, you say that, you know, Dalton has more ball carry metres. Um, he's obviously um, is better, made a little bit better on the attacking side. But I think, you know, playing these Northern Hemisphere teams, it's great to have that attacking players and that's one of Dalton's Massive strengths that he, that he brings to that to that jersey, but it's all the unseen work, the ability to be able to slow that. Like you know, if it's a if, it, if there's a line break, and you can put your head on the ball, and you whether it's a, a flood going through the ruck to take two bodies out, or it's on the ball for three or four seconds to give your, your teammates, like Chip said, time to set your line to then be able to come forward and do your tackles. Um, you know, those things that just don't get seen unless you're a rugby player and you understand how invaluable that is as a player. Um, you know, any, any Joe blog probably won't understand how invaluable that is. And, and Kieran Reid brings up a pretty good point around it. He's probably had a, a bit of hate around um, back in Sam, but you know, for a guy that's you know, he's played a hundred odd Test matches, is probably arguably one of the best eights to ever play in, the, in world rugby. And he understands that concept around how invaluable he is that defense system in Bernal. to have those moments in games to help out your teammates in big de- defensive moment pressures, and, and that's what I think it is. Chip, you always talk around defense wins championships and. Mm. Now, more times or not, if you have guys like that that can put their heads in dark places and do things, all the unseen works, but you know, those all-black coaches and all those players, they'll know what Sam does. Um, it's just teammates will know. 100%. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, I, look at, I look at, you know, this is going a little bit, Matt Todd, for example, when he was at the Crusaders, the amount of stuff that he did, the unseen work, um, the amount of times that he just got play of the days from us because we knew how invaluable he was defensively in big games. And so that's no different from what Sam does. And, Obviously, being the All Black captain, you're under the spotlight a, little, a lot more, um, and obviously, it doesn't help with probably the last, you know, five or six test matches and not winning games. You know, look, not too long ago, Richie McCall was obviously questioned as well <laughs> when we weren't winning games, right? and it's funny to think that now he's arguably one of the best players ever to play the game. So, loss, lo- losing games and putting pressure on on on, play on players, um, it does funny things to think to you, but. I know Sam. I know how invaluable he is, and he's and he's in the team. And those stats back it up, Joe. I think you're spot on, and mm. how invaluable it is for that All Black group um, when it comes to that kind of area of the game. I think what it shows you though is Dalton's a hell of a player too. Like I don't want us to get too far. Like you, you know, it's not a Kane versus Papali'i or Kane versus um, Savia, but it, it is a r- real isolating. You know what he does. Um, in his role in his teams. And, you know, Dalton does have great ball carry stats because he plays a lot on the edge for the Blues, whereas a lot mm. of Kane's carries are in the middle of the field and it's about taking, 
You know, so they've got different styles and they utilise their seven differently. So, so that's also potentially a factor why Plumchi and Foster think he's the best fit at seven because then it gives them the ability to take Artie, who's in that eight role, to roam on those edges and do what Artie does so well. Mm. They're picking mm. go stats seven um, in comparison to one from Papali. So that really reflects your point, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's... Um, yeah, and, and Dalton's just, he's, he's, a, he's a power athlete. Like, you want Dalton on the edge. <laughs> the more time you can get Dalton and isolating players one-on-one, uh, you know, there's not many, you know, between him and Artie, they're, they're two of the best at doing that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, we're fortunate we've got three great sevens, but we've also got two of them that can play. Well, I believe Dalton can play six, seven, and eight, and, and I think probably Artie can do the same, really. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One of the most interesting things I found looking at these stats is we always think of an open side flanker as a turnover guy. You know, pressure at the breakdown, trying to get penalties, trying to get turnovers. The stats probably reflect the fact that that isn't necessarily the case in rugby anymore. Do you know why? Because a lot of teams will, will, so when they preview, they're like, this guy's the best at turnover. So it's like, if we have a chance to run at him and make him tackle, make him tackle. Because then he can't do the turnover role. And it's, and it's also a heightened awareness of players going, OK, that's Kane, that's Papali, that's Savia. I need to get rid of him early. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because they're, yeah. they're good at that area, it, it makes an obsession. It's just like the other night, Sam Kane goes near the ball and three Irish players react and sprint to just get rid of him. Yeah. Because they know what a threat it is. Yeah. So a lot and of that, those on, stats back that up. And just to go on from that, Jip, like playing playing against guys that obviously are really good over the ball, the amount of preview that you do, yeah. for example, you put a bib on a guy for the week. Yeah. And, you know, if he's in the reserves so trying to prepare us for the week, he puts it, he puts a bib on the whole week and he's he's that guy for that week. And so, you know, the amount of preparation that I can imagine the Irish do or vice versa for, um, you know, um, Van der Fleer or, you know, uh, Omani or Doris, any of those guys, you just, like you said, you're heightened mm-hmm. around that first breakdown predominantly, you know, because obviously a lot of the defensive systems now are having the seven out um, defending at the D1 kind of position. So you run at him. So you take away that kind of um, ability for him to get over the ball. So I think you're right. It's been able to, those jackpots, it's so hard because the amount of preview that goes on through the week, you know, through visual, through bibs, or preview work throughout the week and analysing where they're going to be or where they where they're settled, where they're standing off lineouts or scrums, um, it makes it that much harder for them to try and influence, um, and that's why it's hard to be settled. Mm. They both only got two jackals yeah. in Super Rugby. 
Yeah, and if you look at both teams, Samasoni, Takiaho and Kurt Eklund were high mm. in the turnover, so it creates opportunity for other players. We've seen Brody Retallick and, and Locks moving towards that ability um, because there's probably a less expectation of a tall body being able to get down and get the turnovers. So uh, it does create opportunity for other players to get the rewards because there's so much focus on these individuals. Mm. And in Sam Kane's case, he hits a lot of rucks. A lot of rucks. Um, 288 rucks during the season, which is 30-odd more than Dalton. But his effective clean-out is very, very high. He is incredibly good in the ruck work and being a presence in there. He's so. just there early. Yeah. Uh, life is so much easier at breakdown time if you win races. And, and so often you hear him um, you know, in his after-match speeches, it's like a natural instinct in his head. He's like, yeah, you know, we either won races or we didn't win races. And he uses that phrase. So you can see how he thinks. Mm. He is just, everything is just a small race. Whether it's a ball carry, whether it's a clean, whether it's a tackle, he is just trying to win races. And he has a little bit, um, I think, you know, Dalton's stats tackle-wise are quite ridiculous, like 97% tackle accuracy for a guy that's quite physical and abrupt is, is massive for his super season and his defence. And I think, I don't know, what Sam at? He's at 80, 88. 88%. Dalton's first by country mile on... Yeah, that's, those are... I think Hoskins was up there as well. I think he's about 96. So, but what Sam does as well, like he does... He chases the death out of kicks and he puts himself in positions where he's against hot steppers as well. But he, again, that sort of, to me, shows what sort of leader he is. You know, he really wants to set the tone. He's not worried about stats. He couldn't care... Like... Okay, he will care about stats, but do you know what I mean? Like, it's about what he can do and the, um, I suppose, the action that can give his team the upper hand he is prepared to go out and do and put himself out there yeah. um, time and time again. And, and 88%, between 88 and 90, Britain's quite still a, a, an impressive um, tackle stat, isn't it? I mean, 97 is just unheard of, yeah. or 96, whatever he is. So, yeah. I mean, what I take from no, this conversation um, is that when we talk about these players, we've probably got to do a better job of informing the public on what... It's the, probably our role. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. what the game is, because all they think about is what Richie McCaw was or what Josh Cromfeld was. The concept on what an open side flanker does now has changed. David Pocock isn't... Hooper, he's another one. You just you don't want him anywhere near a breakdown. Yep. I know when we played the Waratahs time and time again, it would be like, get Hooper to tackle, make him tackle. You, you've got to get these guys out of the game, which is, you know... Um, and, and because they're so good at stagnants, you attack a little bit sometimes because you don't want to give a tip around them. You want to just have a direct carry. Like They have such an impact. Yeah. And, and it's almost like an obsession throughout the week for the team playing them. Oh, I can tell you right now, whenever we play, you know, like your Sam Kane or, you know, Dalton at, at Super Rugby level, the amount, of, the amount of work, you're almost tired by the end of the week when you finish the game thinking just, you know, obviously there are sevens that are always going to be in around the ball, but whenever you're playing a world-class seven that, you know, needs that much attention to be able to not influence a game. Um, you know, you might do it, you know, for 50, 60 minutes, you might get your clean out right, you might run at them. But, you know, for that split moment, if you don't get it right, um, there's a turnover or they influence the game. And that could be the, the winning of a game right then and there. So it's the ability to be able to stay on and have that 80 minute mindset around doing your job. And I guess for what I like with Sam, you know, and Dolts is it, we're just very fortunate in this country. We've got two great sevens and this debate will go on probably up to, to the World Cup. but. Sam does all the, the grit work that you want. And for what with us, with the All Blacks, getting quick ball and cleaning breakdowns and winning the winning those collision areas is what we need. And so, you know, through the stats that you've just talked about, um, Sam does that better than Dolts. Um, and, you know, the fact that Dolts does get to come off the bench and he could be a little bit more freer 
you know, let's say 20, 30 minutes, he can come on and influence a bit, a little bit wider on the edge if Sam's still on the field or if he does go off, then he can fall into that traditional role that we've seen him perform very well at um, at the Blues and you know, almost last year as well in Sam Kane's absence. Do you play Dalton Papali'i at six again or do you go back to Scott Barrett? Um, Scott Barrett. Yeah, I'd say they'll go back to Scott Barrett. It, it, like, it just shows you the importance like... Um, line out time there's actually to be fair I thought Scott Barrett was outstanding he stole a lot of line out ball like he was um, yep. you know I was really impressed with his individual game and performance um, so when you have a Barrett um, a, a white lock and a retallic one for your own ball but two for stealing opposition ball um, is massive um, from that source uh, and and also it just gives you like the physicality we've talked about it like the Irish won the physicality battle they were they were faster and they were quicker and they just dominated those collisions. Having three big bodies like that again. And, and Sam Whitelock is another sort of unsung hero in defence. Like he, he, is, he does a lot of work defensively at breakdowns, making tackles. He's always high tackle count. Um, he's always talking. He's a great communi- communicator to give others around him um, that sort of confidence to come up and, and put that pressure on. So, um, and I just think Scott's playing too well to be left out of the team at the moment. Like he is playing some great footy. Brent, if they um, had won the second test, I'm sure we would have seen changes this week. Soon as they haven't, do you think there are going to be a large amount of changes to the All Blacks side to play Ireland and Wellington? Um, no, I don't think so. I think they'll be pretty um, pretty similar to that first test match. Probably got Will Jordan that'll come into into the winger position at 14, and probably got Sylvia Reese that'll probably jump into 11, I reckon. Um, and then the four pack will be pretty similar, I think. With what you talked about, Jip, around um, having three locks with Scooter being at six, possibly Takiyahu could start um, at hooker. I think his impact's been um, has been really good. But um, you know, you've got the experience of Cody who hasn't done anything wrong. So and he's proven he's a proven performer. I think you know you've got David Harvilli at, at twelve. I think is going to pop into twelve uh, for Quinn. And I think what he's Davy's going to do it's been able to bring that kicking game. And I think it's going to be so it's so crucial, um, especially with you kind of talked about the variety in the kicking game, Jip. Yes, we talked about the contestables and kicking off 10, but, you know, David takes so much pressure being able to kick long, see that space for Bodie, um, see space for the inside backs, and also himself, he can kick um, contestables and he can kick long as well. So I think having him, him in will be massive, and then probably um, Jack Goodhue, I think, will, will probably jump in that 23-year-old. What would you do? Uh, well, I think it's a test match perfectly built for Colsey. Uh, Dane Coles, sorry. <laughs> Jeez, I'm having a bad day with nicknames. Um, but yeah, I, look, I think it. I think it's. I don't know. There's just maybe I'm biased because I just I've played him so many times. He's, he's such a competitor, um, and and he'll bring a bit of freshness in the week and into the week, and he'll bring a real edge. Um, so I think he's an option to, to play, and and I don't, I just don't know where Caleb Clark's at, but I, I I'd like to see him if fit and available. Um, he's out. Is he still out? Yeah, so then, as Bryn said, Seville will probably go to the... Like, Will's definitely going to start. Like, there's there's no no doubting that. And Seville, I think, played really well as well. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think there'll be too much change. It will be a reflection of whoever's fit. It'll be, the, it'll be close to, um, you know, that first test team. And guys like Dave Harvilli, I think, were probably going to be given the first shot. So they actually do deserve a chance as well. Mm. Um, not that Quinn's done anything wrong, but I think there needs to be a couple of changes just to bring that freshness, a bit of zing into the week, and um, you know, you know, take that that I suppose perceived pressure away from the group, and, and make sure they've got that freedom to prepare and, and just hit the ground running on Saturday. You call it perceived pressure. I would call it <laughs> pressure. You know, the the coach 
It, it, it is. It is. But what? But you can't let it consume you. It, 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 I mean, like sometimes when there's this sort of perceived pressure, it can bubble up into something bigger in your own head. Do you know what I mean? So it's about yeah. making sure that your mind's not cluttered with that pressure and being really clear on your role so that you can just go out and execute it, and that'll take care of the rest. Mm. It's, it's probably I'm probably thinking more as a player um, yeah. than anything is, is yeah. what's going on in their head internally and making sure that that's controlled. Everything throughout the week is considered and it gives them that confidence to know that they can go out there and execute. I don't think that there's been this much pressure on an All Blacks team in a July, June-July series in my memory. Certainly not in the professional era. This is probably the biggest game in June-July that the All Blacks have ever played in the professional era. There's so much on the line here, especially for Ian Foster, to to show what his side is about. Yeah, and I think it's hard to isolate just on... Ian Foster, like, there's a whole coaching group there, there's a whole leadership, like, you know, the responsibility, I know he's a head coach, but the responsibility does need to spread, and I know that the players and and the other staff will be, you know, acknowledging that within to make sure that it doesn't, but it is, it is an instinct, and we all know that, you know, with Scott Robinson's successful, you know, coaching career, that's, drums being banged for a long time, so it's it's not going to change under this, and I think off the back of the end of your tour, and now a loss in June, like, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think there's been more eyes on it. But, man, the one thing, like, we talk about is getting people back to rugby. This is the sort of mm. stuff that brings people back because it's entertaining. It's edge of your seat. There's some, there's so much to talk about, consider, builds up to the week, and then Saturday night, you, you know, you, there's so many more eyes on on not only the All Blacks Island, but England, Australia, you know, South Africa, Wales winning for the first time. Like, there is just... It's a really good advert for world rugby at the moment, and I'm not trying to just turn it on another little positive spin, but it, it, it is yeah. good for the game in, in, a, in a way. Not good for all black supporters, but <laughs> it, is good, it is good for the game as a whole. Bryn, you've been in pressure situations like this before. How do coaches usually react to a situation like this? What do you see out of a coach in a week where there's so much going on? Yeah, I think it's not to fall in their trap um, emotionally, I think, um, Ross. And, you know, that group, there's a lot of experience within the, the leadership group and um, that coaching that coaching group and understanding what the games are, what you need for that. So, um, you know, no doubt, um, you know, they'll be driving the mindset, I think, first and foremost. The coaches will obviously do the review, but having the mindset of what the week's going to look like and uh, building into that Saturday. But I think the key word is you build. Um, you know, you can probably fall into the trap of having emotional playing the game before it's been played. And so um, it's been able to get your preparation right. You know, I, I only know from my experience at the Crusaders, and I'm not, I'm not too, too sure. Picking, be, um, in, 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 picking up um, on but, um, when you guys lost to the Warrior, Waratahs, Bryn, um, yeah. the one thing I picked up when you talked to us about that, it was, it was like brutal honesty, and it's almost like just deal with it. Don't hide from the mistakes so that, you know, you, you almost you take ownership of that accountability, and it gives you the ability to turn your head to what's in front of you. I think if you do, um, if you don't have that brutal honesty, you know, early in the week, you you never grab that accountability. So you sort of never really get yeah. that sort of, I suppose, that grieving process is, is such out of the way, so that you can turn your focus onto the next game. Yeah, and I think like, like you said, Jip, that that Waratahs game. I think for us, like you said, the accountability within first and foremost the coaches. They were very honest around that they could do things better. And, you know, as a player, you love seeing your coaches come out and say, look, we need to be better as a coach group to prepare you. But then, again, as well, us as, as players, we understood that, that we weren't good enough as well. So, you know, coming together with both coaches, leaders, players, and understanding that we weren't good enough, 
we actually did a great we actually had a great um stake in the ground for that for that tour and probably actually ended up winning us on the competition because the biggest thing that we talked around was our intent i can say this now because i'm not there anymore so um was our intent and our intent was was terrible for the first 20 minutes of a game you know there's a lot of talk with us when the part the first part of the year that we'd always start slow we'd always start slow and so um, Jack Goodhue actually brought up a really good point around um, you know, for the first 20 minutes, our intent has to be right. If we're not going to get right, we'll be, our execution will be off. If we'll make mistakes will happen, but your intent to do everything that you can in that first 20 minutes, both sides of the ball, good things are going to happen. And so um, that was kind of our mantra throughout the, the rest of the year, that our intent would always be would always be great. you know. And obviously it started for 20 minutes, and then when you get in the kind of back end of the season and, and finals footy, um, the intent grows and you get under, have a better understanding that you've got to drive that every single play, every single moment. And that was probably a big, um, I guess, growth and where we shifted our season. And so um, I could imagine that the intent that the All Blacks will be wanting um, could be similar. But um, I know those those boys won't fall into the emotional trap. If, if anything, it'll drive them. You know, you're going to hear a lot of media messages around, you know, are Ireland going to win? Um, are the All Blacks good enough? They don't become a bad team in seven days. It just shows how small of a margin... If you don't get things right, you lose test matches. And so um, it's going to light a fire underneath them, and we're probably going to see the best version of the All Blacks um, come this test week, and um, it'll be interesting to see if Ireland can go with them as well. It shows there, to me, um, the importance of leadership from the top down. Like, behaviour always filters from the top down until, you know, any young coaches or players out there listening to that. It says to me the ability to be vulnerable and say, you know, the coaching group came in and they, they, they weren't trying to be perfect, they put their hand up and said, we can be better. It almost provided space for everyone else in that environment to step into and actually acknowledge that it's okay to, that we didn't get everything right. And straight away, that healing process or the, the ability to shape your mindset to being better and bringing that intent is, is gone straight away. And I, I think that shows the importance of that, that sort of accountability, but also being vulnerable enough for the players that are in leadership roles and or coaches so that it, it almost creates a safe space to wanting to, you know, conducive to learning and being better. Mm. Honest conversations. There's a lot of them going on in the public about Ian Foster. <laughs> you know, I suppose he's got to have him himself um, in order to not have honest conversations with the CEO next week. You know. Yeah. Well, I, look, I, I don't want to go down that path because I, I, I'm not too sure. Um, you know, it, it would be the right thing this close to a World Cup either. So mm. you, you've got to look at the whole thing and. Um, Rugby's a funny world, you know. It was only a week ago that you know yeah. the, the, the All Blacks were brilliant, and you don't become a terrible team overnight. And and that's why I said at the start as well, like we've got to get out of this fixation that it's all about us. Like it, it shouldn't be a surprise. Like Ireland are a world class team. That's why they are second now in the world, and um, you know we're sitting at fourth. So it shouldn't be. I know it hasn't happened for a number of years, but th this team has been on the rise for a long time. Mm. Yeah, well, you've got to try not to be knee jerk. But I suppose the um, well, trends are there. It's always game. going to be there. Like, I mean, it's before the game even kicked off, it's a discussion. Like, mm. and, and I think, you know, Ian Foster's on his own would know that. You know, like he, he don't, he's not running and hiding, is he? He's, he's out at media conferences. I'm sure the questions, I don't know what have been posed, but it'll be in and around that. Um, and, and he's got to control it. And, you know, you look at someone like Eddie Jones, it was quite funny. He came into the press conference after the... Um, after winning, and I think the question was like, "Oh, how good was um, 
I can't remember the player. He was like, oh, you want to talk about that this week? You're not talking about the fans coming for my head? And uh, <laughs> you know, what, how are the fans feeling this week? Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. No, no, we'll talk about that player. No, no. And I was just like, it's, it is just, it shows the, I suppose the angling, angle of questions change when a, when a win is almost, it's, it's relieving rather than um, trying to enjoy and talk about the fans enjoying <laughs> our victory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I suppose one of the interesting things this week, and we saw it in the first week that Ireland had a game in the middle of the week versus the Māori All Blacks. They've got to do that again. So in a way, there's a slight distraction for the whole squad in comparison to what the All Blacks are going through this week. Does that have any effect on this game? Um, I don't think so, because they would have planned for it, surely. Yeah, they would have played, but I'm, I'm presuming that uh, a lot of that starting 15 is probably going to play 80 minutes. <laughs> yeah, and it's a day, it's a day um, earlier as well. Yeah, it is a day earlier. But I think um, for those guys, you know, you know, Farrell's talked around, you know, giving guys opportunities. And so, you know, it's another opportunity for those guys to be able to play an international game. And they'll probably be a little bit hurt with um, with how they win against the Maldives and not being able to win. And then being absolutely excited with Thuru being able to go play on the back of, of an exciting win uh, in New Zealand with, with how the Irish played on, on the weekend. So, um, you know, there could be injuries throughout the week. And you don't, you know, you don't know what that bang toll is like at the, at the moment. And so... Well, some guys could play the wave um, a couple of spots for that for that 23. So um, I think they'll be seen as, as, as an opportunity for those younger guys to be able to get a ability to be able to grow some more depth, which I think is pretty important for the Irish rugby. Um, I think I've heard some a lot of comments around. You know, they've got a great 23, but it's been able to build that depth in behind them uh, to be able to you know come to the Rugby World Cup, but you know moving on past the World Cup and being able to bring these young fellas through and being able to give them meaningful test matches to try and prove themselves down here in New Zealand. I think I think he's managed their weeks quite well, Farrell, by all accounts. I think they had their day off on Thursday last week to really freshen up going into that Saturday. So they have changed things up. And by all accounts, when you hear, um, I suppose, Irish um, commentators, they talk about how he has got his... One of his biggest strengths is how much of his finger is on the pulse about when a team needs a you know, hurry up and when a team needs a breather and, and maybe less time on the grass. So if there's a guy that can balance it, he's the one that wanted these games to get that preparation towards the World Cup. So I, I don't think they'll be um, you know, regretting it. They'll be looking forward to it as a challenge of, of really staking their claim moving into 2023. Let's have a look at some of these other games. Uh, Wallabies 17, England 25. We touched on Eddie Jones before. Um, I don't think we need to talk about whether he silenced his critics, but certainly let's have a look at Dave Rennie and his side and what changed there. What was the key difference? Execution, like their set-piece execution down the stretch. Like They put themselves in position. They had all the territory. They had a lot of ball. They, they won penalties, kicked into the corner. There was not straights. There was knock-ons. Um, you know, They just couldn't get through multiple phases to actually get the, the rewards from all the ball and territory they had. Um, so again, similar to the All Blacks, it's it's not um, something that the opposition, you know, it's something they can control, which is always a good way to be going into a next game. And um, I, I also think, you know, the, the English brought a real um, steely approach towards the collision areas, especially defensively. Um, and then, and then again, their own discipline, like Owen Farrell, can kick them from anywhere, and he just kept that scoreboard pressure on, which was just enough to foot, create the perceived pressure which forces passes or um, you try something that's, you know, because you're chasing the game, you feel that chasing of the game. So they just manage, their game managers manage the game really well in England and making their decisions and getting that scoreboard pressure. But also Australia did let themselves down, um, especially in that second half with the amount of ball and opportunity they had. What did you like about England? 
Oh yeah, I just all those points you were spot on there. I think um, for me, it was their kicking game. Mm. I think their, we know traditionally their box kicking um, has been a massive strength, uh, a weapon of theirs. But look, I thought um, it's uh, then Port Flit, um, their halfback. I thought his his execution off exits of points uh, was massive for them, and so um, I think their kicking game was a lot better. Um, they did try to chance their arm a little bit, um, but again, I think you know when they aren't going places, they tend to go to Marcus Smith, drop dropping back in the pocket. And then try and um, put pressure on Australia through um, the kicking game, and so um, that's the game that they wanted to play. And coming back to your point, Jip, you know when you've got Owen Farrell who can get seven kicks and you know get twenty odd points, um, it's pretty tough to do. And the, for the fact that Australia had so many opportunities and they were, the execution was off as well, so um, it was a hard it was a hard day for them. Um, you know, pretty disappointing probably for David Rooney, thinking that um, not, probably not the result. Like sometimes you're going to lose test matches, but it was probably the way that they they lost it. You know, discipline, they had 10, they had 10 penalties through in their own half, coming back to my point around, giving Farrell opportunities to kick in them. Um, just execution, being able to hold on to the ball and build pressure and score points. Um, but, you know, I, look, I liked the look of um, Ireland's kick, that's uh, not Ireland, uh, England's kicking game. and probably thought it was the difference in how they uh, were able to smother Australia and been able to get off the boot of um, um, Farrell and his points as well. Mm. Seal, Pattaya, Parisi, oh. Neville, there's a lot of injuries there, Bryn. Right, serious injuries too. They didn't look small. Yeah. Mm. They look long. Yeah, I'm hoping Prissy's The Aussie A team might be getting right. a hurry up. Yeah. What's that? And that, the Aussie A team might be getting a few phone calls. There might be more than Reese Hodge coming over to join the squad because they, they, I mean, a tough day to, to, to lose, but Dave Rennie must be really happy with the depth they're building. Mm. Um, it, we, you know, we've spoken about the Fijian game, but um, he's, got a, he's got a number of troops that he can call on. Um, and he is a real next man up. Um, sort of coach from my outside looking in and he almost is that sort of man manager that will make you feel a million dollars in bulletproof um, if given an opportunity. Yeah. Is Willie Valley available, Jim? I think so, yeah. I think he was close. Yeah, it was, really it was right. It was right. Tom Wright or her, I thought Tom Wright was good. He was yeah, he really was energetic. He, he, he played really well. Um, so, but yeah, Vunivalu was there. He, it was between him and Wright but I think Wright will get the night after the effort he put in. The Springboks against Wales. This was so interesting. I mean, considering what happened with the complete change of team and the way the box put themselves out there to lose this game um, or win it against maybe the odds um, using all of this squad kind of reminds you of the All Blacks doing it, you know, 15 years ago, however long it was ago that they were running two squads through a Northern Tour. Incredible. Was that a risk and has it paid off in any way? For the Springboks? Oh, well, we talk about depth, and um, you look at the Springboks, like, um, they, I think they lost the, the pool game against the All Blacks and went on to win the World Cup. So, you know, in their sort of management group, this isn't going to. Um, they had plenty of opportunities, a few missed kicks, but the defensive effort from Wales was huge. Um, even to the point, Alan Jones's yellow card that wasn't a yellow card, um, yeah. they scored three points, or maybe six points, and defended their heart off and then he comes back onto the fold and you know they score the match winning try and, and I think you know the composure I mean Gareth Anderson's got the record mm. still for the Blues for the most points in South Africa I think he scored 29 in one game but um, he doesn't mind travelling there and, and putting in some, some good performances uh, does, does Gareth and man he just he I don't know there was like steel in his eyes wasn't there like every kick he was you know, up for it um, tactically, that pass, like mm. you think about the uh, the conversion, but that pass 
to, yeah. to free him up on the outside was massive. Um, and we know the Springboks love their rush D, so he was he, he was outstanding. Um, interesting game, like not the most um, exciting, um, you know, but there were there were um, a few names that I didn't know much of um, that, that um, you know, certainly caught your attention, especially in the Springboks. Um, but yeah, I just that Welsh defence, I thought guys like George North, uh, they're just they're big, they're big players with a lot of experience really stood up. Mm. Um, Gareth Anscombe also has a wonderful tan for a bloke who's been there for two weeks. <laughs> like, he's been going straight from the training field. He seems still... to always have a good tan, Gareth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. a shirt off. Yeah, yeah. Unseasonably well, if I had his rig, I'd, I'd maybe give it a yeah, bronze up and, and get it out. The, the, the Welsh players sometimes do like a tanning bed, don't they? I think so. Yeah. I think so. It's, um, <laughs> he's, 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 he's meticulous haircut. He, yeah. He's, yeah. Everything was going it was, well. For yeah, Gareth. it was. It was. Um, it was great to see Gareth be able to do that because look, the game was in the balance, and you know he obviously had that penalty in the 65th minute, and then they slowly grinded their way back. And you know that that skill set to be able to put that ball on oh. the on the money right. for Adams is so hard. Um, you don't understand when you've got some guy coming right into your face, probably knowing, but when you give that pass, you're getting hurt. You got, you got <laughs> winded, or you're going to get a pretty good tackle. But you know he stayed there to be able to put that pass away for Adams, who finishes in the corner. And then being able to have um, the composure to be able to get that result. And probably Wayne Pivak's probably best test match that he could ever have won. There's one guy, one coach probably in the world right now that um, that needed that one, I think it was Wayne Pivak. Um, and so it just shows the kind of resilience that that, that group showed. They probably, arguably, should be 2 up. They should be. You know, if Dan Bigger, they butchered that Dan Bigger doesn't, You know, if Dan Bigger doesn't, you know, if he doesn't miss that kick, we talked about it last week, Jim, yeah. they put him oh. on the and then, unfortunately, the hand then gave, the, um, um, what was his name, uh, Willemsa, the opportunity to win that game. So um, we'll probably see, we're going to see a, a much improved Springbok side. We'll see the, the guys coming back. Uh, but in saying that, having a week off, Jip, it's, sometimes it's not the best thing for you. Sometimes you like to be in rhythm. And that I, Welsh I, team, in and, and the Welsh team made massive adjustments, especially in the mall. Like the, the Springboks had their opportunities. They couldn't get across the line. And it was through massive effort defensively um, you know, stopping them all. Um, been really, there was, there was a period there when I think it was um, Reece Zammett is sort of chasing a South African player, I can't remember who it was, across the field. And when they went to the wide shot, you could see Williams. He had this player out here, but he just bought time for him to get across and they eventually, you know, took them out and, and forced an error. And it, they just, they were in sync defensively and, and they made things look easy that were extremely challenging. Or... Like I sort of said a couple of times with the All Blacks, individuals trying to solve the issue on their own, they really just worked well as a unit. Mm. Should we have a look at our teams of the week? Yeah. Bryn? Yeah, across Radio. all of the games. Yeah. You know, who did you like as your international team for this week? Uh, yep, I'll start off with the big boys. I went Porter at one. I went Ray Nui, uh, hooker for uh, Samoa. Anytime he can get a uh, hat-trick jip, uh, he's deserved of being a, um, in the hookering role. I went Furlong. It's, it's Ben... Burn. The um, Burn, sorry. Yeah, Burn. Burn. Oh, I thought he was, yeah, he was he awesome. Was for the Irish, um, a hell of a performance for um, for that tight five. We probably put the asset on them, um, needing a big game, and I thought he delivered. I actually went Itzabeth, who I thought was best on park for the South Africans. Um, was great in the line-out, ability to be able to get a few line-out steals, and um, was it was it Itzabeth, kind of the way that he plays. Went Omani, Van der Fleer, and Doris. Um, you can't go past those guys. I've pretty much gone pretty much for the Irish. Um, eight because we needed them to front and um, they did a lot of that. Um, I've actually gone 
Ben Portflett from from England again. I think his game on the weekend. Um, you've got Danny Kerr there, who's, a, who's pretty experienced, but I thought his game and also a notable mention for Ben White for Scotland. Man, he was a. We've got some great depth in Scotland with the halfback ranks at the moment with him um, coming through very nicely. I went six at ten, Fever at eleven, um, Farrow at twelve. I went Henshaw at thirteen. I know he played at twelve, but he ended up moving to thirteen for Bunny to come in, but. I thought he were, his defensive defensiveness was 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 great and probably actually a big moment in that game was he actually made that all and all tackle chip on Richie Mwanga mm. um, when they got the one out steal um, then you know it was a Dalton maybe someone came in from the side and gave that penalty um, system um, and then I've gone Noel and Yamanaka from um, from Japan. Very nice. Um, I, I had Porter at one. I had Ray Nuya um, and Sakate from Japan. He gave one hell of an offload. So the hookers were on fire in a couple of those other games. Um, Taniela Tupo, I thought he was great. I thought he was great in the, in the set piece, but also just his work around the field. Um, Targ Byrne, obviously my player of the week. Um, he's, he's in there. Johnny Hill, um, just purely for the you know, line-out pressure they put on, um, which I think was a big factor in them winning that game against the Test uh, against um, um, England, uh, Australia. Pete Omani at six. Uh, Tommy Riffle. Um, the open side for Wales. I think he got man of the match. He was, you know, awesome defensively, but also great in the breakdown. Um, Ferguson um, from Scotland at eight. Uh, I went Jamison Gibson Park. I thought he was really strong in, in his combination with Sexton. Really challenged the the All Blacks defence um, down that short side and opened up that blind side a lot. Johnny Sexton ten. Owen Farrell um, at twelve. George North. I went at thirteen. Um, I've gone a little bit of a mixed uh, bag in my back three, as I always do. Um, I'm going to go Yamanaka, who played at 15, but I'll put him on the wing. Sever Reese, I thought, was really strong, and Gareth Anscombe. Um, I just had to find room for him, so I put him at 15. Yeah, you need someone clutch at the end there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You sure do. But those are good, strong teams. Yeah, they are, and they're quite a lot different from the week before. It just shows you it's, um, it's hard to be consistent at international level. Mm, mm, absolutely, and have opportunities every week to get things done. 100%. Yeah. Now, let's have a look at the weekend's predictions. We've got another bunch of good games. Let's start with the Pacific Nations Cup. We've got Samoa, Australia A and Fiji all able to win this weekend. So let's start with their games. Uh, Tonga versus Australia A seems pretty straightforward. Yeah, Aussie A. Well, depending how many players they lose. But I think they're creating good depth. And Tonga just haven't hit their straps just yet. I think if they could probably pick that back line from the first game with the forward pack they picked on the weekend, they may hopefully be able to ignite some some fire out there. Mm. Ryan? Yeah, I'll go, I'm going to go Australia. I think Tonga were a lot better. Like they were 18-3 up in that first half, but um, fell away. So, yeah, depending on how many of those boys from the Australian A team go, but, um, no, I'm picking them so on that game against Tonga. Samoa off that win over Tonga, um, up against Fiji. Where does that go? Oh, I'm hoping Fiji will bounce back. Um, they, they can't be a one-hit wonder. And, and Samoa have actually been quite slow going into these games and fought their way back. They're a team that will go the 80 minutes. Um, but if Fiji can get off to a hot start, you know the confidence uh, they're at home in front of their own fans, it'll, it'll surely uh, lift them. OK, Bryn, Wallabies versus England. I'm going to go England. Just a lot of injuries. There's a lot of injuries, so I'm going to go England. I don't think the execution can be that far off with a Dave Rennie side second week in a row, so I'll go Australia. Springboks versus Wales, can the box lose two weeks in a row? No. I'll go Springboks. Sorry, Wayne. 
<laughs> Springboks as well. Los Pumas against Scotland, Bryn. Oh, probably going to see a better performance from the Argentinians, but I'm just pretty impressed with how Scotland played. So I'm actually going to pick Scotland. I'm going to go against the Argentinians. I'm going to pick Scotland. Yeah, I think they've gotten over it, been away from home. I think Scotland will win as well. Like, yeah, they were clinical. Well, the second half they were clinical. It was pretty boring the first half, but the second half they were really clinical. Mm. So we've got series wins for England, Springboks, and... No, no, I'm going Aussie. Oh, you're going Aussie? Yeah. Oh, sorry, OK. Yeah. We've got Mick's got, got it with England. Uh, here's, here's the big one from, I suppose, a New Zealand point of view. Who wins this weekend? I'll go All Blacks. All Blacks? Yeah. I'm going to draw by the British Irish Lions. <laughs> no, 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 sorry. I'm going, um, I'm going the All Blacks. It's going to be, it's going to be a close set. If Johnny Sexton's fit, um, yeah, the All Blacks will just win this one. Yeah, I think they're getting some key personnel back. I think Sam Whitelock's a r- real um, key get to get back into that team. Not saying that it, the others didn't do the job, but he just, you know, experience is such a big factor in these pressure cookers. Mm. It feels like there's more on the line for the All Blacks this weekend than Ireland too. Oh, Absolutely. Um, but uh, Sexton's pretty ruthless, man. Like you saw his um, post-match interview, yeah. like he wasn't. He's like, yeah, mate, we've won, but you know, job's not done. <laughs> he was pretty. Mm. He's pretty firm in his statement. It was almost a little bit awkward at times, um, you know. But he doesn't want to be seen to, you know, thinking one win's enough. He wants to win the series, so it, it will be close. He's a hell of a player and a hell of a side. So it's going to be a really great weekend of footy, watching all of these different deciders, lots of deciders, four deciders, plus the Pacific Nations Cup as well. Everything's on the line this weekend. So thank you very much, Bryn Hall. We'll see you again next week. James Parsons, again, great analysis. Thank you, guys, and thank you for watching another Aotearoa Rugby pod. We look forward to seeing all of this action this week on Sky and all the analysis on rugbypass.com.